Man, we're back. Wednesday edition, Stripe Show Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. I've given Froggy another week off as he just continues to extend this holiday vacation another week. He'll be back next week, Froggy Wednesday. So it's me and this gentleman here on the right for those watching with uh, video or if you're just listening, joining me, uh, the managing director of player relations for the USGA up in sunny and warm New Jersey. Jason Gore, how you doing, bud? It's um, great. How are you, Travis? Um, <laughs> you it's sunny. It ain't warm. Uh, <laughs> you probably take my camera on there and show you the white uh, snow-capped planes that we're looking at right now, but it's not, not a good thing for this SoCal kick. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you were, you're used to... Um, well, sunny and warm weather and, uh, well, it's, it's winter and, and I get a lot of notes and DMS as I'm posting videos down here in Ponte Vedra beach, Florida. And it's like, man, what, how, how warm is it there? I'm like, yeah, it's 77. And like, ugh. you know, it's a lot of snow and cold happening across the country, but we like to bring a smile to their face here every, every day on the podcast. And I'm excited about this one. We got a lot to get to. Um, wow. You guys, Y'all have a lot going on uh, at the USGA, a lot of really good momentum. It seems like every other day there's, there's an announcement and it's like, wow, that's great news. And then three days later, it's another announcement. It's wow. That's really good news too. <laughs> you know, so it's, and, and, it's more to come. And, and more to come. So maybe you can, you know, perhaps indulge us on some uh, exciting things that are coming down the pipeline um, from the USJ. And we'll get to some of this good news that you have announced. I want to start though, of course, I mean, it's 2022. So you always got to start with distance. That's the buzzword driving distance. Bryson, of course, you know, he's taking it to a whole new level, but you know, the USGA, you guys put your foot in the ground a little bit, drew a line and said, look, we're going to start here with the driver 46 inches. That's as long as it's going to be. And you put it into place, you got a little pushback. So I guess, you know, we'll start here. My question to you, um, you know, why the driver, you know, at 46 and in, in, in starting there, not only in the men's game, Jason, but also this is in effect for the women's game. Well, I, I think, you know, with it being a model local rule, right? Like if you and I, well, God, we'd love to do this right now. Go out and play golf right now. We could still yeah. play with a 48 inch drive, mm-hmm. right? Like hey, this is just for, for, um, tournaments or championships that implement this rule. It's kind of like the one ball rule, right? It's if it's not stated, it's not really in play, right? So it's got to be on the local rule sheet, you know, or the hard card or whatever you want to call it for, for the PGA tour or the LPGA tour. I think it was just it, to, just to be fully honest, like it was one of those low lying fruits. Of, mm-hmm. Okay. So we've obviously identified that, that golf balls are traveling greater distances, whether it's, human element or, or whatnot. But um, it was one of those things, you know, with, with technology getting better by the, not even by the day, but by the minute. Right. And these kids coming out and, you know, driver lengths, even to just OEM stuff is getting longer and longer and longer. Um, you're going to come out of these kids that, you know, 16 years, 15 years, whatever, young that are going to learn how to hit the 48 inch driver. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, Furek, and now that he doesn't do it, but he, he grew up putting cross-handed. That's just what he knew. So, you know, you're going to get kids that are going to come out and they're going to gain that extra few yards, especially with, you know, with shaft technology and all these different materials that they're using. 
like it's going to get better and better. And so we're just trying to keep a cap on, you know, on what's, what could come down the line with whatever the next step is. And, you know, just to protect these great old golf courses and to keep prices down and, you know, keep costs down. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, like we want to make the game available to more and more people. And if, you know, if golf courses keep getting so expensive to maintain with chemicals and, you know, anything west of the Mississippi, I mean, we know how water is. Yeah. You know, being a California kid, uh, we know water restrictions and there's probably, you know, more to come with that. But, you know, just to keep the game available, um, to, to everyone, like we, we want the game to, to keep growing, you know, I mean, COVID's had huge, you know, if there's one good thing that came out of it, golf definitely benefited. Yeah. And with this great growth and, you know, number of players we see, like we want to keep it to where it's, it's a long-term long-standing. And, and I know just that this whole conversation was started way before COVID hit, but you know, it's like, we got some momentum right now and how do we keep costs down and how do we, how do we keep these, these great American cathedrals of, you know, of great golf, everything like that, that our country has stood for with its type of, with type of golf courses, how do we still keep them relevant? And, you know, like it, you just got to keep it to where the, the golf course architect designed it and keep them kind of almost sacred. Well, I'll tell you what's not relevant with no wind is the plantation course at Kapalua. That <laughs> That's no match. No, no match. They're just, they're just that good. You know, yeah. like, I've kind of looked through all the data, you know, and one of these now, especially here, like looking through the data and just how much better and faster and trained and fit these players are than, than my generation. Right. Like you, you've, you know, and I, I just keep thinking every generation gets better, you know, like our generation was better with all due respect to them, but you know, just like top to bottom, it's just been, deeper and deeper and deeper and you know you're getting these tiger made it to where it was cool to be an athlete and still play golf yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't that long ago when golf wasn't even considered a sport it was yeah. a hobby right so i mean now it's i think it's firmly in the sport category yeah well tiger trained and he i don't know if he trained like the best way for golf but he got bigger and he got stronger he got fat, all those things but now i think the training is so pinpointed on how to train longevity, what to train, stretching, all what that to train. Yeah. I think you made a really good point though. It's that younger generation learning how to swing that 48 inch driver with this maximization of speed and what that will look like in the next 10 years. Right. It's kind of getting out ahead of that curve. And I, I think it's, it was low hanging fruit. And I think frankly, you, USJ had to, they had to, you have to start somewhere. Right. And I feel like that was the most logical place. Now I know you got some pushback as always. Right. I mean, it affected Bryson. It affected Phil. It's going to affect Brooke Henderson. Not many players, but on the tour, of course, Phil, he's had a lot to say, Jason, I know you've heard this tweet, but I'll read it. He's had a lot to say about a lot of things um, a lot, over the last couple of years, but word is USGA soon rolling back the driver length to 46 inches. This was his tweet course when it happens this is pathetic first it promotes a sh huh? i heard about it <laughs> so first it promotes a shorter more violent swing injury prone doesn't allow for length of arc to create speed and during our first golf boom in 40 years our amateur governing body keeps trying to make it less fun that's got to be frustrating i would think at the usga to, to hear 
something like that with Phil, who's, you know, has been vocal in social media. And that's one of the reasons why he won the PIP because he does take on some of these things. And anytime you draw a line in the sand, you know, Jason, you're going to get, you're going to get some pushback and, and Phil seemed to be the most vocal with him. And how does that, how does that land back there in, in Jersey? Hey, listen, I consider Phil a friend that he's been super great to me and he's certainly entitled to his opinion. Right. And then like, I keep telling him, I go, listen, I said, you go to the back tee of any golf course and it's usually the finest grass on the golf course. Right. Like you, there's not many people play back there. And this is, this is not helping my argument of, you know, bringing the golf ball back, but like nobody's saying you can't move up. It's going to make the game faster. It's going to make the game more enjoyable. You know, like that's the thing is, 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 like I said, he's entitled to his opinion, and 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 I'm not going to say he's wrong because he's not. He's got a point. It's just there's there's a little bit more to it. And like if you look at past U.S. Open stuff, right? Like the longest U.S. Open golf course was Aaron Hills, mm-hmm. and what won at Aaron Hills? Seventeen, eighteen under. Yeah. What was the? You know, like distance doesn't scare the PGA Tour player. Right. It's the exact opposite on the LPGA tour. You know, it's like distance sort of scares them. So, right. So this goes kind of goes back to course setup and the way we're looking at course setup now is like North South doesn't scare a tour player. East West kind of does. And with the way they're playing, like it still doesn't scare them. Like you, you saw it last weekend at, at Kapalua, like that place is super wide and super long and it just doesn't scare. Them. No. So, you know, like, what is our best, I don't know, for lack of a better term, ROI on, you know, controlling what the golf ball does without crossing into intellectual property of, you know, these great manufacturers. Like, like we want to give them room to grow, mm-hmm. right. To innovate, to, to do all the great things that they do. And like, we don't want to do that, but what, what it is, is, I'm stumbling across my, my thoughts right now. So hanging like, how do we make it? Where's our ROI on keeping these golf courses relevant Mm -hmm. prices down sustainability, you know, all those, all those 2022 catch words that we want to use that, that, you know, how do we keep it to where you and I can go out and have a great time? Well, yeah, I think that drawing the line of between amateur and pro golf is, that has to happen. And, and like you said, with the driver length rule, it's, it's a rule, it's a local rule. I mean, you don't have to implement it. Right. So basically I could go to where I teach here down the road, Jacksonville golf and country club. And if they're running a tournament, they don't have to implement the rule. If they want to, they can, but that's upon their discretion from an amateur standpoint. Now on the PGA tour, on the PGA tour, on the European tour, or DP world tour now, like it's 46 inches. Like you can't go, past that. So it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's probably, you're going to get pushback no matter what, but the golf ball is a much trickier proposition um, on what's going to happen there. So do you have any announcements there on that? Everybody's going to be playing the same ball here soon too. <laughs> no, no. That's, uh, I was just going to say, like, we have, we have no real interest in bifurcation in there. Yeah. Okay. Like, we we want to be able to go out and say like, well, Justin Thomas plays this golf ball and you can still buy this golf ball. Like it just doesn't, well, I don't, me personally, I can't speak for, you know, Thomas Pagel and Mike Juan and others involved, but like, I don't think there's 
there's any benefit in doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to, you want to play the golf ball that and manufacturers want to sell the golf ball that, you know, that the tour players play because it, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think that's important. And so yeah. like, I, I wouldn't say that bifurcation is really in the cards at all. I just, it okay. just doesn't, um, because I know that's what probably some viewers are thinking, you know, for, or listeners are thinking right now, well, it sounds like they're going to buy for you. No, I, I don't think that's even in the cards, but um, it, it just, we want to find the happy medium and we certainly don't want to deter anybody, you know, the Phil's point about, you know, hurting themselves or, or, you know, making a violent swing or taking the fun out of the game. That's, that's not it at all. And we just want to, find a way that this game can be available to for multiple generations to come without it becoming, you know, because it would feel like it's become less and less, less and less like air fingers quote elitist, you know, mm-hmm. that more people are out there. Yeah. Playing. Like, how do you, how do you get, how do you keep that, this momentum of coming out, but you know, it's, you're not going to keep momentum if prices keep going up. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely the price aspect of it. And, you know, yeah. I mean, make your driver as long as you want when you play. Here's the golf ball that flies the longest or spins the most. Or like, yeah, I think having all those available to the amateur player and and then what makes sense within reason, which is, man, we could probably talk for days as you guys do on this about the sustainability of these golf courses and um, keeping them relevant when you look at these driving distances. And I mean, you know, what is it now? Like the top. I think 50 or 60 or well above 300 miles an hour in club head speed. Um, you know, before like you had to, I remember probably when you played, you know, Jason consistently, um, the average driver length was probably, you know, distance was 282, 280, I would think somewhere in there. I'm not that old. All right. So 287. Yeah. I mean, it, was, uh, it was certainly like 44 and a half inches was just the number that all my drivers were. Now it's 45 and a half, right? Like, yeah. so, I mean, you, you know, once it goes back to innovation, you know, shafts get lighter, shafts get mm-hmm. stronger, right? Like 40, if you had a 45 and a half inch driver with 19, you know, with the early 2000s technology, I mean, it, it was, it was bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, know, like 60, I mean, I look back at some of my old drivers and I had 95 gram graphite shafts in there and that was just what you played. And now you figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was just, that that was what we had. Those are the best. Those felt the best. Those, those worked the best. I mean, shoot, I think it was up till 2006 or seven. I still had steel in my driver. (laughs) Right. I mean, so, you know, I think things just keep progressing and keep getting better. And it's awesome for, for the tour. It's awesome for the amateur game, but, you know, like what, what's next? Yeah. Well, one of the things that was next, let's move on here is, was, you know, the greens book, this was the first week. And this is a, this is a professional topic, right? Because amateurs in green, but I mean, okay, you're elite. Some of your elite amateurs may use them, but this is, this is a big topic, obviously in professional golf. And on the podcast, we, you know, we cover professional golf thoroughly and the greens book, um, what I want you to do for the audience, Jason, because this is one of those topics, I get a lot of feedback from my audience and they're like, well, what was in the greens book before versus what they added? And now what are they taking away? So like in layman's terms, right? The green book, they're looking at them, all this additional information. What exactly has been taken away now from the tour player? 
So anything that, that you can use with like an electronic device or a level is now deemed, you know, unusable, illegal, if, if, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So you can go out and you can draw lines. You can go out and hit putts to where you think the whole locations are going to be. And you can draw lines in there. They just don't want any hard numbers or, you know, it's like only anything that can be observed through through hitting putts or, or eyeballs or whatnot. And this whole thing came about through the Players Advisory Council. Like they just said, we don't want these anymore. So mm -hmm. this really wasn't a USGA thing at all. This was right. kind of like them, you know, the tour players, the, the pack coming to us saying, we don't want these anymore. Can you mm -hmm. have these? So yeah. this wasn't something that came down out of the, you know, out of the, the ivory towers at the USGA. This was something that the, the pack players said, like, hey, we don't want these anymore. And it was right. voted on. And they, and they said, can you help us? And, you know, obviously being great partners with the PGA Tour, we, we said yes. So, yeah. Um, so I can't go up when I'm, when I'm playing. There's the hole. I can't put a level down. That's 2%. And then over right. here, okay, that's, yeah. you know, 1%. Now, now, if you can, if you you can do what like Cameron Smith was doing, where he tra trained himself to stand there, mm -hmm. right? You can use it on the practice screen, obviously, and feel it with his feet. Like, okay, this is two percent, and then you know, you obviously know that there's a breakdown based on percentage slope and you know what areas, um, speed of the greens, the whole aim point right. book. You know, like, hey, I know that this one and a half percent putt's going to break. X amount at X speed, right? So now it turns into a giant math equation, which is why Bryson was <laughs> so great yeah. at it, right? Like, I, I can't add two plus two, but like it was turned into a science rather than an art. And I think like some of the players that were on the pack think that this is a skill, and you know they're they're right. Like this mm -hmm. is a skill to, to be able to read greens and to know like how hard you're going to hit this and how much it's going to break. You know, there's multiple lines depending on how hard you hit the putt right like if you hit it four feet by obviously you're gonna i like to say fly it over the break and it's not gonna break right right so if you leave it you know whole high low then it's gonna break more so mm -hmm. i mean there's a certain art to matching what it is and this is not about bryson you know like i've heard these these same things you know it's like bryson we're looking at stuff that's going to make bryson you know less have less advantages. No, it has nothing to do with this. Yeah. You know, with all the due respect to Bryson and how great he is and how he's transformed himself, like this is not, this is not a, a plot to, to ruin Bryson. Right? You, guys, you guys made him take his hat off too. He has to wear a regular hat now too. That came from me. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. And then you know, I consider Bryson a great friend and we've had many great conversations and like, listen, sorry, man. Like, Probably rightfully so to think that, but it's not. Like, so, uh, your driver's too long. He's a champ. So your driver's too long. Yeah. Uh, you got too much stuff in your greens book. Yeah. Change that damn hat. An arm lock and I. You know, an arm lock and I, know. I, I, I feel so bad. It's like, except the call. And you're like, oh man, I'm, you know, like, almost have to be apologetic to him. But yeah, you know, I, I love the kid. He's a great guy. But um, uh, all right. <laughs> something that, that the players kind of asked us to, to go along with and you know we're, what if we can't we're certainly going to oblige yeah what else is out there anything else you can share with us i mean i know there's got to be hot topics you're like man if i hear this topic one more time my head's gonna explode like bifurcation the golf ball driver length 
Green's books. I mean, these are like the buzzwords I would imagine walking up and down the halls. Hey guys, you ready for that? Ready for that Green's book meeting? Yeah. Any other, any other buzzwords that you can share or no? I I think one of the things with my job is anytime like a player comes up to me and, and brings up something, you know, whether it's putters or drivers or whatever, I always try to like keep our conversations private. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't ever want to lose that trust. Like right. I've said a million times, like I can, I speak to her, right. Spending 20 plus years out there. Like I can look at them and go, dude, come on. Really? Right. Or, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, you got a great point. Let's, let's talk about this. And I think the more I can keep something like confidential between the players, the more they can continue to trust me. And like, and, you know, there, yes, there are, there are things out there, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm just, you know, yeah. Hopefully we'll get, to, we'll get to those points or, you know, hopefully we never get to those points. Yeah. You know, you started your job in 2019 and it was the first player relation position for the USGA. Now, of course the PGA tour has had it. I'm, I'm sure the LPGA tour has it. I'm sure like, like they have that player relations, which can be a difficult job because, you know, there's times to celebrate and, you know, here's here's a win and this and that. And the communication I'm sure has improved dramatically from what's happening inside the ropes to guys that are making decisions that affect what happened inside the rope. It's like, it's like I, I compare it to like the general manager of a football team, right? You have the general manager who watches the game from the booth and then you have the players down here and, and there's a, there's a, a, a dynamic that has to happen there between those two. Right. And if it can, then the culture can become really good. But if it's, if there's a definitive line between the GM, okay, I'm up here and you guys play, right. I make decisions. You play, I guess that can work to some degree, but man, that culture, if you can have someone, no, no. Hey, let's, let's bring this together and get these interweaving the right way. Then all of a sudden trust goes up they're making decisions on this. Okay. I may not necessarily agree with it, but uh, I'll, I'll, here I'll play along. Right. It just kind of makes everything better because the culture gets better. I, I can't imagine Jason, the improvements that have been made over the last three years since you've been in that position. Well, you know, as I could have had, I'm very lucky to be here, but I think, I think, and thank you for those kind of words. I, I just, I think we just gave them a voice. Yeah. Like, they've always had a voice, but you know, it's like we we want to know what the players are thinking. Mm-hmm. We want to know because, listen, this building doesn't have all the answers. You know, and I came in here and I, I just remember like one of the one of those questions I asked on my interview process. And we were at Pebble Beach and John Bonehammer and Jeff Hall. And Jeff Hall was my Walker Cup um, manager. So mm-hmm. I've known him since 1997, right? So, so he was always the guy I'd call and say, Jeff, what is this? What's going on here? Why are you doing this? How is this? So I had that person, right? But a lot of people don't. And mm-hmm. I just remember asking them a question. They you know, like, it was basically my, my first interview. I just met John and I said, with this position, will I have a voice? And I don't know why I asked that question, but it was just kind of, you know, and I think part of well, I kind of do, because I kind of felt like, well, first off, it's, it's a little narcissism of, don't you know who I am? I've spent, you know, 20 some years. I wasn't the greatest player, but God bless. I saw a lot. 
right? Yeah. All sides of it, you know, from the goods and the bads. Um, and thinking that I kind of knew stuff that they didn't, which mm-hmm. is which is true. And and on the other side, they know stuff I don't. So that it was kind of like, how do we give the players a voice? Like they have to live what we do. Right? So yeah. You know, there are repercussions of things that we do that, that they have to compete on and live with. So I think that's the thing of like, you know, where I'll call John Ron and say, hey, John, what do you think about this? Hmm. And, and it could be the little tiny minuscule thing. And, and you know, and, and the other thing that I always try to do is I'll call either John or, you know, who a past champion or just a regular player and just say, you good? Anything I can do for you? Because mm-hmm. they get pulled at by seven million directions every day. Oh, yeah. Hey, can you do this for me? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I, I just like to call them and just say, hey, man, is there anything I can do for you? You good? Mm-hmm. Not to bug them, but just to let them know, like, hey, man, we're listening. We're on your side. And we do it the same with the LPGA Tour. Liz Fratkin on, you know, on the LPGA Tour does the same thing. And I think it's important to know that, hey, we care about what they think. We yeah. want to know what they think. And, and, you know, a lot of that's played into course setup. Because, you know, it's like when I first got here, they started talking about, you know, like we'd bring up a certain subject. And within 38 seconds, it was always about, why the heck did you put the whole location there? Right? Like it always went back to course setup. And I started to think like, listen, you can give them caviar and veal and all this stuff. At the end of the day, they care about what goes on inside the ropes because that's what they know. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's great. Like we want to treat them like the athletes and the, the you know, the, the dare I say celebrities that they are and treat them mm-hmm. with respect and, 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 you know, really respect what they do. But at the end of the day, they're golfers. They want to go out and they want to compete in the national, in their national, you know, if you're an American in, in the national championship, the United States open or the United States women's open and, and have a chance to be their best. And how we can prepare them to be their best. That's what we do off off the golf course. But at the end of the day, it's always comes down to inside the ropes and they want a good, fair test. And but they want to be challenged. And so I think that's the part where we're now listening to what they want, what they expect. You know, like nothing makes me happier, and this is gonna sound really kind of weird, but when a player plays bad and says that was a great golf course. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want yeah. them to play bad, obviously, you know, I want them to walk off and say, you know, I, I shot 65 today. I played great. But, you know, it's like if the player can walk off and know he had a hard day and, you know, like, and just say, God, that, that place was fantastic. Like when Phil said that, right. Like he didn't yeah. play great on, I believe it was Saturday at the open and you go, you know, I think he even said in the media, like, Hey man, this place is perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I think- that to me, like, I don't want him to play bad, but I like, I want him to know that, that, that he knows when he hit a good shot and he was rewarded or when he had yeah. a bad shot and, you know, God was, was busy. <laughs> I think it's, you know, and I think it's fair to say there for a little stretch, like USGA, the U S open kind of, it lost its identity there a little bit, at least when I was young and I grew up and it was like, man, the U S open is, it's the one, you know, like, and, and NBC would come on and those horns are belting, you, you know, and I asked Tommy Roy about that and he told me the story behind that. I was like, man, I mean, right now, like the hair on my neck is standing up a little bit, just thinking about it, you know, like as a kid, you hear that U.S. Open, here it comes. I mean, this is the one, you know, and, and I think the, like it kind of lost its identity there a little bit. 
But over the last couple of years, like you can see now, everything's just kind of moving back. And I thought at Torrey Pines, like it felt like the U.S. Open. Like it just felt like, okay, we're getting back now to where we were. And, I, and now I feel like, but it's even going to get better. And, and, I, and I believe, Jason, just with like the decisions and the people now that are associated, what you're doing with the player relations side, Mike Wan now we know has come over. Um, as the CEO, we know what he did for the LPGA tour. We know he's a very smart, forward thinking, bright, energetic. I mean, he's got energy, you know, like it's, it's infectious, you know, and that's, that has value. I mean, you just listen to the guy speak. Like, okay. I'm on, I'm going with him, you know, like makes sense to me. I mean, like I'm in and then, you know, so you got that going and then you see these decisions and you watch the U S open. It's like, okay this is cool. I'm, I'm getting excited again. Cause we're, we're, it feels like the U S open and the USJ now it's back on track and we know about Mike, but Fred, uh, purple, is that right? Yeah. Purple. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's the chairman right now. Now, Fred, he's going to be the president though. He'll, he'll enter in 2023 and he'll be the first African-American president since the inception of the USGA. Tell us just a little bit about, about Fred and, and again, it just, you know, from what I've heard, sounds like another great move. Well, I mean, the one thing I can say about Fred is right at the very beginning when you meet him, you can tell how passionate he is about the game. Mm-hmm. Like, he loves the game, like, to a point where you're like, dude, calm down a little bit. <laughs> like, did it for 25 years, it's not that great, right? So, um, but, you know, he, he's another, like, he's got a lot of Mike Wan on him, or, you know, Mike Wan's got a lot of Fred for Paul on him, but... Like you can just once you're around him, you can feel the passion for the game. And and not saying that any past president has that because Stu Francis that we have now is he's awesome, right? Right. But he's you know he's a great player. He's he's you know he's won a lot of events as an amateur and loves the game. But Fred, you can just kind of feel like he's just like he's a kid. How much he loves yeah. it. Like, you know he 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 hasn't been playing for a super long time, but you can tell that bug bit him really really hard and and like he's just so excited about you know he's he's so excited about everything we're doing and everything that, that he can be able to lead and to see the kind of momentum that the usga's got right now it's it's great like he's another guy that you just can't wait to be around because he's just you know you're going to learn something great and you know if you're having a bad day you know that he's going to come up to you and just you know like yeah he, he's going to make everything all right because the passion that he's got for what he's doing is, is, is like, he's just the guy that puts a smile on your face. Yeah. Like, All right. have smart guys and smart women and like smart leaders with a vision. And then they have energy and now people are, Oh wow. This he's like, he's filling me up. Of course I want to go and be a part of this and be heard and then take that out, that message to the players and the men and the women. And, and now it's all just becoming more cohesive with that culture that I'm talking about. And I think the USGA, I mean, look that from a culture standpoint and that connection to the player, it's difficult because you're not in the same building as the LPGA tour and the PGA tour. So it's, you know, like there has to be even more energy to some degree and even more communication and, you know, just to be part of that. So, but it's happening. I can sense it just sitting here. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to reach out with all this great stuff. And, and, and one of the other uh, news that came out, which I think is the greatest news of them all is the U S open for the women next year or this year. 
uh, I mean, the purse has nearly doubled 5.5 to 10 million. Right. Um, the, uh, the sponsor I'm, I'm it's slipping my mind right now. Prometica. Yeah. Prometica presenting sponsor. Yes. Presenting sponsor of the United States women's open. And they've taken it to $10 million. Right. I mean, it's one thing to say, grow the game, make a difference, elevate. It's another thing to put your money right into it and make decisions and say, we're doing it. We're pushing forward. And this is going to be the biggest person, obviously women's golf, but as I understand women's sport, right? That's yeah. I believe that's right. Yeah. It's, I'll I'll just steal a Mike one line right now and, and, and claim it as my own. But, um, when he was at the ProMedic announcement, he said, you know, millions of girls are going to wake up tomorrow and have a bigger dream. They're going to start to dream bigger because of this announcement. It was like, dang, like that was, and that's what makes him so special. But, uh, you know, he thinks that way. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not about this player, you know, these players, these great players that are playing now in 2022 at Pine Needles, right? It's not about them. Like it is like, we're going to pay them more because we're going to start to give them what they deserve. Right. Like, but what about the next generation? How does this make the, the nine-year-old girl say, I want to play golf, mm-hmm. right? And so how do, you, how do you like continue to build on that? And what's it do for other LPGA events? Do they start going, wow, man, we need to step up our game. We need to work harder. And, and just how do you continue to elevate it? And you know what? We went out on a limb or they went out on a limb because we've never had a presenting sponsor. And the one thing that, you know, like the, the, the PGA of America had a presenting sponsor, the RNA has a presenting sponsor, it's how do you keep up with the times, but how do you really just change it? Right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you take it to the next level? And, you know, like the girls have been underpaid forever. Like they are so darn good. And there's so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love watching LPJ golf because they, they play it in my mind and I could be wrong, like tactically correct. Right. right. It's, it's a, it's a very much of an X and O game rather than a, you know, here we go picking on Bryson and bomb it and find it. And, and you know, like, but that, but that's the way he plays. He's chosen to play that game. So that's very tactical on his part, but like, just, you know, how many people can actually do that? How many people are gifted like that guy to actually do that? So I just think they can learn so much more just that the, the normal mortal golfer can learn so much more about watching the LPGA tour and how they play, how they approach the game. And then, so, I mean, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a great step for women's golf to take them to the next level, to really showcase how great they are, and to give them something to really just strive for, right? Like, it's, it's we, you know, being narcissistic or arrogant here, like, we always thought that we had the best championship. We always thought the U.S. Women's Open was head and shoulders above every other championship. And we wanted the players to think the same way. And this now really solidifies it. And, yeah. it's, you know, we're going to have to constantly try to keep getting better. And, you know, like we're doing that by taking them to better golf courses, taking them to these cathedrals of American golf. You know, you got yeah. Marion, like Pine Needles is, is amazing. Yep. Lancaster is super underrated. Um, Pennell Beach, 2023. Beach, Riviera, Pinehurst, you know, like – and then I believe there's way more to come on that than Oakmont. You know, Oakmont, like, and I'm probably missing a couple, but like, 
let's put them on the grandest stage to showcase how grand these players are. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's throw some, let's throw a big purse at them and let's, let's see what happens. Like, you know, it's going to be yeah, awesome. And Prometic has been amazing. Yeah. Prometic is, I mean, you have to tip your cap and clap your hand to what's happening there with Prometic and USGA 10 million. Now they're playing same venues as, as these men. So, you know, I think about my six year old daughter and that's what she's going to watch now as she starts to grow older and okay. Yeah. They're in the monies. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then, oh yeah, they're playing on the same courses and like, you know, that's a huge, huge step in the right direction. I think you make good points on the LPGA tour. They, when you watch the LPGA tour, you still have some balance of, okay. Yeah. You have the bomber to some degree, like a Nelly Corda, um, Patty, um, and then you have uh, Lexi Thompson, of course, who hits it a long ways. And, you know, and these, these, these girls are in the top 10, but then you have the plotter like the Lydia Ko, the Jin Young Ko. You know, you still get, I don't know, it just feels like it can go either way. It feels more 50-50. And you, where on the PGA Tour, it's definitely lean. It's lenient towards Bryson and DJ and Rory and those guys that can really rip it out there, go find it okay, I'm hitting nine iron from the rough, but that's better than hitting, you know, seven iron or six iron from back there because I can still launch it. The rough's not that long. And the, oh yeah, the greens are still soft in Hawaii and I can stop it. And so it's, you know, like you, you the, the needle has definitely shifted that way, but in the LPGA tour, it still feels like it's pretty 50, 50. So kudos to you guys. I want to ask you about one more thing. Cause I know you're busy. It's like someone um, poked in there. You probably have a, my office is right next to the bathroom. Is anybody in the bathroom? Like bathroom water? Maybe that shows you what they think of me here. But anyway, um, please. Uh, someone poked your head and get in. We got this driver meeting. Phil's on the conference call. He wants to talk to us. We can we can we do forty six and a half? <laughs> All right. uh, I just work here, man. So the, so tell us about this, the, the adaptive open. I, I, I really, um, I, this is pretty cool. The, this, it was announced the USGA's 15th annual, um, national championship in December. And for those of you that don't know this, this tournament includes 96 players, male and female professional or amateur. And they have either a physical impairment, a sensory impairment or an intellectual impairment. Um, I mean, this is, this is really cool to see in the sport. I mean, it, it really is something like this for these individuals that have these impairments to be able to go and compete in a tournament put on by the USGA. I mean, this is pretty, pretty cool stuff here. Yeah, I mean, once again, it's, it's how do you make dreams come true, right? How do you make people with, you know, that are eligible to play in this championship? how do you how do you make them dream bigger mm-hmm. right like give them an opportunity to showcase their talents and and you know like this would have come out many years ago if it wasn't for covid right like it was mm-hmm. it was ready to go and then all of a sudden the world shut down but anyway another topic um this is just another way for them to recognize because i mean we have every other championship and like like how do you bring this to, to showcase these players' talents. And I mean, they're 
74. Like they're unbelievable. Yeah. See somebody come out, you know, it's like, I'm sure you've seen Dennis Walter's show. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible what this guy can do with, you know, with some of his, you know, physicality. Like he is phenomenal to watch mm-hmm. him go out and do what he does and super entertaining. And, and like, but anyway, that's his show, but like, how many others are there out there that, that don't have a place to play? And how do you make them excited about the game? And how do you bring more people into the game? Like, how do you, how do you influence or excite players that would have never been involved in the game? And, yeah. and you know, it's like golf brings that opportunity. And if this championship brings that opportunity to others that are, you know, that, that don't know this is possible, it can bring inspiration. And I think that's what it is, to, you know, to have these players be inspiring to others and to have a chance to showcase what they do. I mean, it, it, it was, it's a shame that, that it wasn't brought out earlier. And now that it's here, it's just, it's super exciting. And I know it's, it's, it's one of those days that I want to circle on my calendar to be there to watch the first T-ball. Oh, yeah. it's, it's that important, right? Yeah. Well, Congrats on everything there. Um, it's, it's cool to see the momentum and um, you know, look, there's, there's always hard decisions to be made and always going to be pushback, but um, it just feels like the, it feels like the USGA has really got a lot of nice stuff going on. I wanted to catch up on some of these topics and appreciate your, uh, your honesty and transparency with all that. And man, we're excited for uh, a full slate of golf with USGA tournaments. It's um, yeah. Right. Fingers crossed. We're going to make it. It's yeah. I think we'll be okay. And, you know, it's a, I, I hope so. As somebody said, as Reg Jones said, you know, you got to think positive and test negative, right? <laughs> Just <laughs> so, um, but I don't know. There's been, you think thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, Jason. You know, there's been so much great stuff. And like, even with the corn Ferry tour exemption, yeah. you know, Monday it's uh you know, that, that's always kind of held a warm place in my heart, that tour. Well, you've only won it seven times out there on the Corn Ferry Tour, for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Of course Crash, it did. Crash Davis. Right? I had, I had a feeling like you were behind that Corn Ferry Tour news. I was like, well, of course that makes sense. No one's won more Corn Ferry Tour events than the Jason Gore. <laughs> I was involved in the conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. And then, um, you know, the other interesting one before I let you go is the amateur, right? Like, um, you guys are, you know, you've, you've been a little more leniency on the advertising and promotion around um, Name money language. being exchanged as from amateur golf and they can accept up to $1,000 from a scratch perspective, right? From a gross perspective. But as soon as they, um, hold on a second here. I'm kind of butchering this, it's but I have a likeness deal, right? With the NCAA players. and Right. So all advertising expense related and sponsorship restrictions were removed. And then, so basically an amateur can accept a prize with a value exceeding $1,000 in a scratch competition. Um, they'll lose, they'll lose their amateur status if they accept a prize value exceeding 1000. So they'll lose it. If they exceed 1000, they'll lose it. If they play as a professional, they'll lose it. If they accept payment for giving instruction, you hear that out there? Something in the mail gene that says, look, I'm a teacher and they're, you know, I don't think most of them are getting paid, but I'm, I'm watching. Um, 
So they, they lose amateur status if they accept employment as a golf club professional or association of pro golfers. So yeah, they, they, you know, kind of loosen that up a little bit, which I think was a good move um, for the amateurs. So the USJ, I mean, it's looking out, you know, yeah, you got the pro game, you got the amateur game, a lot of momentum. Just let's keep pushing it forward. Right. And, right. and, and keep playing. Well, once and, again, you know, it's trying to provide opportunities for these players and, you know, I think when NCAA changed with their whole name, image, likeness, like we kind of got handcuffed. We had to kind of get with the time. And, you know, like me personally, I won't speak for anybody else in the building, but it was, it was hard. Like I had to hold my nose a little bit. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that, that, that line between amateur and pro is, is getting a little muddied. And, uh, yeah. but you know, Hey, listen, I've been wrong before. Um, you know, I, I good for them. Yeah, you know, they're getting basically being treated like professional without being able to play for money. So it's um, you know with logos and stuff like that, and obviously there's there's some restrictions on logos, but um, it, it's more opportunities if somebody's willing to go out there and pay these top amateurs to play. Like, good for them. It's a small percent. Though. We're talking like it's very. A, I mean, this we're talking very very handful of people here yeah but yeah. So, you know i mean before that would have would have been a big no-no but you know it's like yeah so NCAA had to do it yeah it's the times it is no it's it's the times and one thing that's happening for sure and i see it because i'm you know i'm here at green grass facilities is i mean people are playing golf I mean, i'll tell you right now like you want to play this weekend here in ponte Vedra, you better get on it you better make a call here in the next 24 hours because you know, you start pushing it to Friday and, you know, most of these places are, hey, yeah, we'll get you out about 4.30. I mean, what? Yeah. Can we get nine holes in it? For, you know, it, so it's. It's <laughs> awesome. Like, I love yeah. it. Like, you know, just to hear of some of these clubs that were at, you know, that were getting ready to close their doors and now they have waiting lists or, yeah. you know, where you couldn't fill a tee time at a public golf course. Now you have to get on it if you want to play. And like, listen, I, I, I want people to to love the game and and just to to be exposed to the game and and to get them over that level of like oh boy like i can't i can't live this weekend without going to play golf yeah i think it's fantastic there's some courses being gobbled up right now in real estate which is is not the end of the world we had i think there was a lot of courses being you know we had we had probably a few too many and so I think now with the inventory probably getting a little closer to right, this nice surge, people coming back to the game, people coming into the game, you know, look, there's something golf can be, it can mean different things to different people. You know, you want that country club experience and this and that, and, you know, uh, a collar and buttoned up and in that fine dining and this and that, like that's there. You want to go more casual with your buddies, play a little music, have a cigar, run a little bit, you know, like there's, you know, you can loosen it up a little more over here. Like there's, there's, there's different ways to access the sport. And, and I think everybody has to have an open mind to that. I mean, it's the United States of America. There you have that freedom. Golf can have that freedom too. And I think it, it's been a really important curve to kind of shift that way some, right. And loosen up a little bit. Right. And yet, it's a gentleman's sport. There's rules and this and that, but you know, how serious do you want to take it? Right. 
And, and then I think, okay, yeah, I want to get over here and I want to play more tournament golf and I want to get in with more single digit handicappers. Well, they're, they're over here, you know? So, okay, yeah, I can go over there now too. So it's, you know, look, it can mean different things to different people. The game means it's different for you now, Jason, than it was 15 years ago. There's no question. And like people ask me, like one of the, the weird topics in the past, you know, a couple of years is hoodies. Yeah. Right. Like, listen, I don't, I don't care what you wear on the golf course. Just, just go be on the golf course. And you know what? Like, I believe like dress codes or music or cigars or whatever, pick your, pick your topic. It's more of like a 10th amendment kind of deal. Like, listen, you and I, we can go out to our local public golf course and wear our cargo shorts and our hoodies and play the music and, you know, be totally welcome. But if we're going to go play a, a nicer club, if we're going to go play Pine Valley since I'm right. Like we know better. Yeah. Right? Like, what, yeah, there, yeah the rules are, right. Yeah. You take the person that's out there. Yeah. You know, female way, going to play in their, you know, in their, let's just say casual wear and say, Hey, we're going to go play Pine Valley. And guess what? They'll abide by the rule. Like it's a, yeah. you know, so yeah, I, exactly. I exactly. Golfers are very adaptive to, to doing that. And I, I, I don't care what you do. Just go play. <laughs> just go play. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're at the local public, go have a great time, but go play golf. If you're right. at, you know, an elite club, uh, go play golf, but you know, follow, follow their, their guidelines. But I, like I said, just go play golf. Yeah. Like, you know, I want you to love the game that we all love. Yeah, there's something there for everybody. And then, you know, hey, turn the TV on when USGA events are on and turn your phone on and watch it and stream it and right and like all that too. So it's uh yeah, we're set up. We're really set up nicely. It's um there's a lot of good momentum, fingers crossed here, and obviously this this COVID and health and um, but I think we're gonna be fine. I mean, Tigers back in the mix, Phil playing good golf. I saw Annika maybe didn't rule out wanting to come back and play in the United States women. I'm like, what, what? Oh, you know, and then you have all this young, you know, talent coming up and bubble up underneath. I mean, it's really, and it's, it's an exciting time and let's, let's just kind of keep the mojo pushing forward. And I think hopefully this, this podcast just did a very small part in that. Um, and I appreciate your time for coming on out and, and spreading the good word. Appreciate it, Jason. Thank you.